Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. go back to Psalm 8. If you'll turn there please with me. I want to go back over to Psalm 8. This is again a Psalm of David when he as a shepherd boy was sitting out there watching his father's sheep. He had a lot of time to think about different things in life and thankfully he was a man after God's own heart the Bible says. So he thought a lot about God. He thought a lot about relationship to God. He thought a lot about what God himself wanted of his life, and therefore also what God wanted in relationship to all of mankind. I'm so glad that somebody like David, had, you know, you don't realize the impact of what these people have had on our life by having such a heart to know God. Because of them, we, are been, we have been so blessed to be able to hear from the Father through their heart, obviously through their life, of what God wanted us to hear. What a blessing. In Psalm 8, this new series is talking about God's design for man. God's design for man. What was God's original design, intent? What did he desire for man in the way of his functions in this earth? And how was that to happen? I don't have time to review. I would like to. I don't have time to review everything we went over this morning, but we'll just cover a little bit of ground. Uh, Psalm, verse eight, ver, uh, Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. Psalm 8, verse 3. David said, when I consider, talking about himself, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon, and the stars, which you have ordained. Now, ordained means to set in place. If, if you think about like the term when we talk about somebody being ordained in ministry, it's the same term because ordained means God set that person in place. So as an example, like the fivefold ministry, you don't want anybody in the fivefold ministry that God didn't set in the place of fivefold ministry because they're clearly not uh, qualified to do what God needs them to do. So the moon and the stars which you have ordained are set in place for. In the midst of all that, what he's you know, thinking about relationship to all of creation, then comes this statement. What is man? What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Now this isn't referring to two different types of mankind or humans. This is referring to the initial aspect of man, the one that God initially created. And the, the second part, the son of man means all the descendants of Adam. So that's what the reference is to. So it's just referring to all of us. Can, can I get an amen on that? Now notice what he says about it. Verse 5, for you have made him. In the midst of this meditating on this, God having obviously him write this down and revealing this to him. He says, for you have made him a little lower than what? The angels. But the Hebrew word there is Elohim, which is not used for angels. It's used for God. The English translators fearful of trying to actually put in the context there what really should have been because they didn't feel like that might necessarily fit in their view. But the word Elohim is the word for God. And if you look at this and move on beyond what we're going to see down in the, far, the following verses after that, it's clear that's what he's talking about. He did not give angels dominion over the earth. He gave man dominion. So this is all in context to us being what? Right under him. Again, verse 5, you've made him a little lower than God, Elohim, and you've crowned him. What did he crown us with? Glory and honor. 
So the word glory means his presence, but honor means a type of rank or position. If you look at that word honor, it's referring to type of rank or position. And he goes on and reveals this in the following verses. He created man with God's presence and a position or a place of rank in which he was to be able to exercise dominion. Verse 6 says so. You've made him to have dominion. Say dominion. You've, had it, you've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Works of God's hands here refers to the creation. What he, what he created of this earth. Who actually did God put all this under the dominion under? He put it under the dominion of Adam. Dominion of man. He goes on to say here, you've also done what? At the last part of verse 6. You've also put all things where? Under his feet. So there was nothing else in the earth higher ranking uh, in context in the earth. There was nothing higher ranking than man himself other than God. But God's in heaven. So here God is creating man, putting him in the earth. Over all the works of his hands, he's to have dominion. And therefore he is to have all things put under his feet. Verse 7. Including all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Genesis chapter 1. Go quickly. Genesis chapter 1. So this is just some review of where we started. I need you to get caught up with me if you didn't get a chance to be here this morning to understand exactly what we're talking about. So clearly, uh, David understood man was created by God. Primarily, the, the primary function of what he's saying there is he created God to govern over the works of God's hands. He created, he created I said, I said God, he created man, God created man to govern to be a, in a position to govern over the works of God's hands, what God created. Who was to govern that? Man was. Well, it tells you that in Genesis. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in what? Our image according to our likeness and let them have what? Dominion. There you go. Let them have dominion. Same thing that, this, that David saw when he was talking about this in the Psalms. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let me help you. This is something true about God. God doesn't change, so he doesn't change his mind. He hasn't changed his plan for man. He created man to have this dominion. Verse 27, so he created man in his own what again? image in the image of what god. underline that please or highlight that in the image of god so when he talks about in the image of god what's he referring to god the father god the son god the holy spirit he's referring to the trinity i'm gonna come back to that so he said he created him in the image of god not he did he didn't create him in just the image of the father if that was true it would have said he created him in the image of the father he didn't say that create him in the image of god he created him notice male and female he created them then he blessed them, said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and do what again? Dominion. Have dominion. So once again, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over everything that moves on the earth. Back to verse 26, critical, vital for us to understand in our series here. God said, let us make man. God said. God said, let us make man. In what? Our image. So who is it that made man? God the Father. God the, Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. They were all involved. He said, let us make. Not the Father, let us make. Why? God cannot 
utilize, function, or release his dominion and authority himself without all three of the Godhead. They do so functioning together as one. All the directive comes from the Father, which is then spoken as the Word of God, which is Jesus. He's the Word. And then is carried out by the power of the Holy Spirit. When God created the earth, it wasn't just the Father. The Father was there. He spoke. And that was the Word. Remember, the Bible tells us the Word created everything, talking about Jesus. So Jesus is involved as the Word. And then who's hovering over the actual time frame of where he's at on the waters at that time to bring into existence what he said, the Holy Spirit. So when God uses dominion, when God literally releases his power or dominion, it's not just God the Father, Jesus the Son, or the Holy Spirit. It's all three. That's the only way it works. you got to have all three working together to have that dominion function. True of Jesus' life. Jesus said, I don't do anything except what I see the Father doing. I don't say anything except what I hear the Father saying. Could Jesus, let me back up. Did Jesus perform any miracles, signs, or wonders before being baptized in the the Holy Spirit at the River Jordan? No, he did none. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was not yet involved until he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when he's now walking through the earth after being baptized in the Holy Spirit at the River Jordan, who's he getting his directive from? Who's he getting his directive from? The Father. Remember how you go take time to pray to the Father? So he's getting directed from the Father. He then carries it out by actually declaring or acting upon what God said. And then what's the power that brings it into existence? So everywhere Jesus is going and functioning in this dominion, it's not him doing it on his own. He even said the Father in me does the works because what what he meant by the Father in me, it's his directive. It's his plan. It's what he wants. I'm here to carry it out, and when I act upon and carry it out by what I speak to people or what I do, who then comes into the position of power to bring it into existence? The Holy Spirit does, not Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that obviously raised up him from the dead is doing this work through him supernaturally. He's responding to Jesus, the Word, who's following the directive of the Father. Now, I don't want you to lose this point because the whole point of God's design is to function like him. We are to walk in this dominion. If you don't know this, the focus of this series is not dominion. Dominion is a byproduct. The focus of this series is to function the way God created you, his design, which is spirit working with the soul and working with the body. When you get all three of these working together in unity, guess what you can walk in? The same dominion. You can walk in the dominion that he gave Adam before the fall. Now, when Adam sinned, as we talked about this morning, what part of Adam died? His spirit died. So when his spirit died, could he now function under God's original plan? No, he could not. Because his body and his soul now functioning separate by the choice they made to eat of the fruit they should not have, coming from their soul, not their, not their spirit, has now made their spirit dead. So part of them is now dead and dormant. So what is Adam and Eve now functioning out of from the rest of the time after that? They're functioning out of their soul. They're now functioning out of what we now call the lower Adamic nature. Because God's nature is not of that old Adamic nature. God's nature is of a higher nature, which is of his spirit. So literally Adam, by actually committing high treason, therefore relinquished the ability ability of, of what God gave him to function under God's original design. 
He could not now go exercise that dominion. If he could have, he could have kicked Satan out of the, out of the, out of the garden instantly. But he couldn't. Why? Because he lost that place of authority by, by his spirit having died. You can't release dominion according to the Bible without all three parts of your being working in, t- in connection together. So God's a three-part being. We're a three-part being. We're made in his image. Nice. Correct? So our spirit, you look at the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, our spirit is supposed to be in essence like the Father. Our spirit is now what we're supposed to be governed by. Once we're born again. Once we're born again, what happened? You got a new spirit. We're going to see it again in just a minute. Well, you got a new spirit. Guess what you got the ability to do? You got the ability to go back to God's design for man. Because now if you'll function out of your spirit, man, what's the soul supposed to be doing? What's, what's the actual soul supposed to be doing? It is supposed to be servant to the spirit. It takes directive from the, from the spirit man to carry out as a servant to the spirit to say or to, by will, by choice to do what it is our spirit's directing us to do. And the body just carries out that plan. Like the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean your body's power. No, it just means these three things are functioning together as one. Now, for a believer, when that happens, guess what's already in you as a believer? All the power you need. The reason that we don't see in relationship to what was God's original design for man, we don't see the same type of things functioning in our life a lot of times the way the apostles did and the way Jesus did is because we haven't learned to line these three things back up and function out of our spirit. But if we do, guess what's going to happen? The power of God's inside your spirit man. It wants to get out. Your spirit man wants to get broken through your old fleshly nature so he can dominate and now cause what God intended for you to walk in to come to pass. That your words will carry power. I said that they do carry a form of power, but not God's power. Death and life's in the power of the tongue. But when they're coming out of your spirit man, that's life. And now they carry the power of God with them. So God's design for man was to function just like him, spirit, soul, and body. When Adam sinned, his spirit died, and therefore man could not function in God's original design until the salvation of our new spirit man. Could I get an amen on that? Back to 1 Thessalonians for a minute. Hallelujah. Just a couple more references, and we're going to camp for a little bit. 1 Thessalonians, again, proves this in the New Testament. So when we talk about functioning as a spirit being or functioning under what we would say spiritual maturity, a lot of people just say, well, spiritual maturity is being governed by my spirit. True, but what's being governed by your spirit? Define it better. What do you mean that you're being governed by your spirit? What you should be saying is, my soul no longer decides, determines, or lives in relationship to my life as the king of my life to determine what I do. If I'm functioning out of my old soul, excuse me, out of my soul, I'm functioning out of my old fallen Adamic nature, which is the lower nature. But when I function out of my spirit, man, and my soul submitting to that and my body carrying it out, you've now just risen up into the higher nature. You've now risen up into the nature of the spirit, which is where the life of God is already at because it's already in you. His spirit, you're one spirit with the Lord. I said, you're one spirit with the Lord. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, we see the same exact truth again revealed in verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you what? Completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just to prove to you, you are a spirit 
Back there, we didn't see it tonight because we don't have time. Back there when God created, what did he create your body of? Tell your neighbor, hey, that person on the outside, just an old dirt bag. It's just dirt. Your body's of the dust of the ground, correct? But then he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of, the phrase breath of life says in the Hebrew, his spirit and soul. He breathed in him his spirit and soul. I want to show you why you're a spirit being. God's a spirit being. You're made in his image. You're made in his likeness, right? Even the Bible, remember this, even the Bible said the spirit, the spirit goes where it wants. It's kind of like wind, right? It just kind of blows where it wants because the reference to spirit is like a wind or a, or, or a type of a, just like in the context of what uh, God, Adam, God got, did into Adam's nostril, a breath, a breath of life that went into him. Just like Jesus breathed on the disciples. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came in, birthed within him a brand new spirit. So the term spirit here is the word pneuma. You don't need to write all these down, but understand. The spirit and soul is not the same thing. Obviously, neither is the body. The spirit is pneuma, which actually the initial definition is breath. If you look it up, the very first word is breath. But as you further define it in relationship to the actual context of which it's put here, it's referring to the spirit of man. It's referring to the very part of you that gives you life. If your spirit leaves your body, it's lifeless. What gives you life? Not your soul. Your spirit does. So in relationship to the spirit man here, it's pneuma. Soul here in context to this verse is actually the word psyche, which is where we get also the word suke. And it just simply means the mind, the will, and the emotions. So it's a total different part of us, not, it's not a part of our spirit. It's a separate part of us, very clear in these scriptures. And this is how you distinguish between when the Bible's talking about your spirit or your soul. If the word psyche or suitcase used, that's your soul. If it's using the word pneuma, that's your spirit. That's the real you in the original language in the Greek. Spirit, soul, and soma is the final word body which is just your physical outer being, again, created from the dust of the ground. Say, I am a spirit, have a soul, and I live in a body. Go to Ezekiel 36. So obviously, again, when Adam sinned, that spirit died. Now, I want you to get this. When Adam and Eve's spirit died, guess what they were now? Incomplete. They were incomplete. They could not function in God's design because their spirit had died. It no longer had life in it. They now are functioning out of their soul. If you think about it this way, I mentioned it a little bit this morning. In the context of the garden, he said two trees there. Uh, there was more than this, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of what? Life. life. So in relationship to the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is to feed your soul. And that's why I said don't eat of that one. Why? Because there's no life in it. It's just knowledge. There's no life in it. Eat of the tree of life and you feed your spirit man. Now we're going to get into this later, but you and I are still supposed to do the same thing. We're not supposed to feed off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What the world says, we're supposed to feed off the tree of life. What the word says. I'll say that again. We're not supposed to feed off the world. If you feed off the world, you're feeding off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That feeds your soul. You're not supposed to feed off of that one. You're not supposed to have your soul dominating. You're supposed to feed off the tree of life, 
which the Bible tells us very clearly that comes from the word. Jesus said in John 6, the words I speak to you, there's spirit in their life. So if we would, this is the problem with most Christians because if we're feeding off of the world, we're feeding our soul and therefore our spirit's not getting fed. And if our spirit's not getting fed, but our soul is, guess who keeps dominating us? Our old soulish nature. In Ezekiel 36, in Ezekiel chapter 36, this is where God prophesied through Ezekiel about this new spirit man we would receive. In Ezekiel 36, are you there? Verse 26, notice what he said. I will give you a new heart. That's the actual spirit man. Notice, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. New heart meaning you're going to have a heart for me once again by putting a new spirit within you. I will take, now this, this might be confusing to some, but listen carefully. I will, take, I, will, uh, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. That's talking about what's in you now. Talking, because they were still spirits, they did. What's in you now, this old, fallen, dead spirit, is now what? It is a stubborn, rebellious spirit. Right. I'm going to take that out of you. Amen. I'm going to take that out of your flesh, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. What do you mean a heart of flesh? Well, the word heart of flesh here actually means a heart yielded to God that will be in your flesh. So in essence, just I'm going to put a new spirit in you. It's going to be in your flesh. You're still going to be in a flesh and bone body. But I'm going to put a new spirit in you that will be yielded to God. How do we know? Verse 27, I will also put what? My spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So not only is he going to give us a new spirit, new heart, which he did, he's also going to put in there what? His spirit. And by putting his spirit within our spirit, we're now going to have the ability to do what? Walk in his statutes. So we understand for us the connection. to Now, this is a little different than Jesus. Jesus had direct connection with the Father. He didn't need the Holy Spirit to relate to the Father. He didn't have a fallen nature. We know this on the Mount of Transfiguration because it wasn't by the Holy Spirit he heard from the Father. The Father came down and sat right there and talked to him. But understand this. For me and you, our connection to the Father, to know of the Father's plan, is now through what? The Holy Spirit that's in us. The Holy Spirit in us. When Jesus said that if you receive me, me and my Father will come and live within you. How's he going to do that? By way of the Holy Spirit. So our spirit down relationship to the Holy Spirit gets information from who? From God the Father, which relates to us what we need to know to now do what? Pass on to our soul, that our soul gets submitted to it, and our body acts it out. And when we do that, guess what we start walking in? Our rightful place of dominion. We start seeing the very things of God work in our life again because we're back to God's design for man. You take a time in, in relationship to anybody's life when they have seen the power of God working, I promise you they weren't functioning out of their soul. They were functioning out of their spirit. And when they function out of their spirit, belief in the word or one of the gifts manifest, that comes out of your spirit. When they're functioning out of their spirit, guess what comes into manifestation? The glory and power of God. The dominion of God. It works. The reason it's not working for a lot of people, they're trying to function in faith in the things of God from out of their reasoning, from out of their soul. And that's not how you function in the things of God, as we're going to talk about tonight. You've got to get a distinction between your soul and your spirit. Because for far too long has fallen beings, what has controlled our life? Our soul has. Our spirit's been dead. 
So our soul's been the one dominant determining what we do. And our soul itself, by itself, apart from a fallen spirit, is going to go the way of the world. It is going to go the way of which, the, obviously, the flesh wants to go, which the Bible says there's nothing good that dwells in your flesh. Say, thank you, Jesus. I have a new spirit. So the moment you got a new spirit, guess what you could return to? God's design for man. To function as what, what Lester Sumrall called a total man. Man was incomplete without that born-again spirit. But you're not anymore. Go to Hebrews 4. And we'll camp out here for a while. Hebrews chapter 4. Man was incomplete. You know, I don't, I get it. I understand why people said, well, you got this God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. There's not really a hole in your heart. No, you have a dead spirit. You need, to, you need a new one. You need it to come alive. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. What's born of the flesh is flesh, sir. What's born of the spirit is spirit. You need to be born of the spirit again. Because right now, all you're, all you're walking in is the flesh. But once you get born again, guess what? Now, what was born of the spirit becomes what again? Spirit. Now your spirit comes back alive. There's not really a God-shaped hole in your heart. There's a dead spirit in there. And you need to get it born again. Amen? How many have already done that? So you're on the road to God's design for man. To be able to walk dominated by your spirit, man, means you're going to walk in what? You're going to walk in total victory. You're going to see life. If you function out of your spirit, man, you will see life the way God does because you don't have to reason it out. I'm going to show you this. You don't have to reason things out when you function out of your spirit. Let me give you an example real quick just to kind of preface this up front. When Jesus himself was about to enter in the triumphal entry... Back into Jerusalem. Remember what he told his disciples? Go into town and you're going to find a young colt, a donkey that nobody's ridden on before. Now, what do you mean you're going to find it? He went into town before him and tied the donkey up. Nope. He hadn't even been there. How did he know this? He didn't say, now, you know what? Here's the deal, guys. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into town. I want you to look all around town till you can find a young donkey tied somewhere. And when you find a young donkey tied somewhere, because this would be stealing without asking permission, walk up and ask the owner, can the master use it? He didn't say that. What would he say? You go into town. See, he's functioning out of his spirit. I don't do anything except what I hear the father tell me I'm to do. Guess who told him where that donkey was before he ever directed his servants there? Guess what you can walk in? He gave you dominion. You can walk in the same thing. He knew exactly where that donkey would be. He told his disciples, go into town. You're going to find this donkey. And you're going to see him tied to a rail. And you're going to untie him. And as you do and start bringing him, if somebody asks you what you're doing with him, you tell them the master has need of him. Well, guess what that means? God had already dealt with them. And guess what they did? They went into town and golly gomer, it was just like he said. How about the Passover meal? Same thing happened with the Passover meal. Well, Lord, where do you want us to prepare for the Passover? Go into town. I want you to watch for a man carrying a pitcher of water into his home. Follow him. When he goes into his home, you walk up to that home, knock on the door and say, uh, the, the master has need of a room for Passover. Uh, do you already have a room prepared? Yes, I do. And he'll show you where it's at. And lo and behold, it was just like he said. Amen. It was already prepared. How in the world did he know this? He didn't have to say, well, let's try this and see if it'll work. If that guy's not the right one, find somebody else carrying a pitcher of water. But see, that would be functioning out of your, out of your soulish nature because you wouldn't know. 
I want you to get this. When you function out of your spirit, man, you know. Amen. There is no questioning. Amen. There is none. It's absolute. When you function out of your spirit, man, you know. Because guaranteed when you function out of your spirit, man, and absolutely without a doubt you are doing so with, with an understanding that I'm not in any way confusing my soul from my spirit. I know that I'm functioning out of my spirit, man. The reason that you know, and you don't even have to question it, you don't have to reason about it, is because God doesn't have a plan B. No, that's right. God don't have a backup plan. God ain't going to change what he's already said is truth. And the reason a lot of Christians don't walk in what God has for them is they're functioning out of their soul. They think they're walking in faith, but within a day or two, they're already questioning whether or not it's true or not. Right. Let me tell you why. You never got that out of your spirit. That's right. No. right? That's a good word. That's so you got that out of your soul. Your soul questions because that's what it's designed to do. It reasons. Right. Your spirit doesn't question. No. That's right. I said your spirit doesn't question. Literally, even Jesus himself never questioned the Father to the degree to say, I don't really think this is right, or I don't think I should do this, or whatever. No, you're going to see in a time of torment at the close of our service, he certainly you know, wanted to know if there was another way that this could be done, but I know I'm going to fulfill your will no matter what. I'm just making sure I'm in line with your will. So here's what I want you to get. The key for us... Tonight, this is what I want you to get a hold of. The key for us to function in the design of God for our life as a total being governed by our spirit, man, we have to learn to differentiate between our spirit and our soul. Critical. Absolutely critical. Because it's important to understand if you start seeing how they are actually created different, why that is so significant to walking in dominion. You're not going to walk. When I told you about the story about laying my hands on those bulls and watching them stand, I didn't even question it. I didn't even have any question about it. It was such revelation in my heart. I knew all I got to do is lay my hands on that bull and tell him to stand and he's going to stop. I did it time and again. I did it at other rodeos. I did it at Mesquite Rodeo. I had a bull I was getting on there one night, and he's fighting the shoots. And, and some guy said, man, he's going to be pretty bad to get on. I said, no, I'm fixing to take care of that. I wasn't bragging. I knew Amen. in my spirit. See, your spirit knows. Your soul doesn't. Your soul's like, well, I'm going to try this and see if it'll work. There's no power being released in that. Why? It's not all three beings working together. When you, when you start to believe what you think, let me back up. When you start to do what you think is believing God in some area and then questions come up, you never were functioning out of your spirit man. Your spirit man does not question God. Your spirit man knows. Absolute. Absolute. Problem is we've been so used to function out of our, out of our soul, we question everything. Well, if you're questioning the things of God, I'll tell you why. You're functioning out of your soul. So Hebrews chapter 4, you still here? Verse 12, watch this. For the word of God is what? Living, Living and powerful. And it's what? Sharper. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. It's got to go into you, and it's got to cut away and pierce and divide in your life what is the soul and what is the spirit, and of joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intense of the heart. In other words, it will help you to have discernment as to what is of your spirit and what is of your soul. Now, wait a minute. This isn't just knowing the Word of God. This isn't just knowing the Word of God. This is literally, in essence, consuming the Word of God. 
See, if you're not going to want to be a consumer of the word of God, you're not going to function consistently out of your spirit, man. Back to my point. What did Adam and Eve do? They fed their soul by going and eating of the tree that he told them not to. Knowledge of good and evil. Instead of going eating, eating of the tree of life that would have fed their spirit man. If you're going to go by knowledge alone of what again is happening around you and what you see and what's going on in the world, you're feeding off of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you feed off of this right here called the word of God and nothing else but the word of God, guess what you're doing? You're feeding your spirit man, come on, with life food and you'll know. You won't question. You don't need to reason. We're not saying that your reasoning faculties, as I'm going to get into in a minute, of your mind is not necessary or needed in context of basics of life. If you walk up to the street, you know, like a street corner to cross the street, and like there's no, like a walk sign or anything like that, or no light, and you look down the road and you see a vehicle coming, reason tells you, wait till the vehicle goes by. You don't need to pray about that. You don't need your spirit to tell you that. Part of what reasoning does help you is it does help you with some basics in the natural that you don't need to hear your spirit man on. If I went to put my hand up next to something and all of a sudden I felt a, you know, really, you know, a lot of heat coming off of that thing, what does reason say? Don't touch it or you're going to burn yourself. So we're not saying you don't ever utilize it in basic things like that. We're talking about functioning in the dominion God gave you. The problem is you can't now apply that to functioning as a spirit being in the things of God. It doesn't work because you're not supposed to function out of your soul. You're supposed to function out of your spirit man. It's the way God created it. So again, in verse 12, it's the word of God. Say the word of God. It's the word of God that is living and powerful, that is capable of separating, dividing our soul from our spirit. 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom he must give account. Under the Old Testament, when they brought a sacrifice to God, to honor God, to be right with God, they had to bring an animal. They had to cut that animal up. Right? That wasn't always easy or fun to do. They had to cut that. That was painful for that animal to go through. Guess what you and I are supposed to do? Present ourselves as a living sacrifice. You know what that means? We're supposed to allow the word. It's not easy. It's painful. We're supposed to allow the word to deal with our fleshly man so that he's no longer ruling and reigning. And we are now going by what our spirit man knows based on the word of God. We got to allow the word to do what? We got to allow the word to do surgery. We got to allow the word to, if you're, this is why I said this morning, if you're not correctable, you'll never be spiritually developed. If you're not correctable, you'll never be spiritually developed. Because if you can't be corrected through the word by itself or leadership through the word, you're going to continue to be soulishly governed. If, if somebody brings a correction to you of something you've done wrong, very clear in scripture, Bible black and white, and you said something or did something you shouldn't do, the Bible's clear about it, don't do that. And somebody corrects you to try to help you and you get all offended, mad and upset, let me help you. You're going to stay a soulish being. You're going to function in the lower realm of the soulish nature. Because you're unwilling to allow that word given you to cut away that old flesh that obviously just controlled what you did and should not be allowed to happen. You got to let the word cut away that old fleshly nature and say, thank you for pointing that out. I repent, Lord. I do not want to continue to do that. In Jesus' name, I'm going to honor what I know is true according to the spirit nature within me. Now, I want to read to you several statements here before we move forward to our final verses tonight. 
And there's no way you're going to be able to have time to write all these down, but I want you to listen to them, and I'll, I'll mention them several times. These are statements from Dr. Summerall about this very thing, that Christians have to learn the difference between their soulish nature and their spirit nature. And you do so initially by actually taking time to understand how they function. If you don't understand how your soul functions, how your spirit functions, how are you going to separate the two? You're not going to be able to. First statement, it is of great significance and supreme importance for the spiritual health of the individual and the church to know the difference between soul and spirit. Otherwise, how can the church know what is spiritual and what is carnal? They cannot. There's a lot of things that even happen in churches that really is carnal, not spiritual, and it's often labeled as spiritual. But you got to know the difference. You got to know the difference between truly what is of the soul and of the spirit. It is of great significance and supreme importance. This is a man who lived this out. Great significance and supreme importance for the spiritual health. How many want to have spiritual health in your life? For the spiritual health of the individual and for the church, they have to know the difference between soul and spirit. Otherwise, how can, how can the church know what is spiritual and what is carnal? If we don't understand the difference in how they function, if you begin to see how they function, you begin to pick up on now what you know is soul and spirit. How do we know how they function? According to what the Bible reveals to us. The Bible is what is the capable thing in our life to separate that soul and that spirit. Just what I told you a minute ago. If I truly am operating out of my spirit, I'll never question it. I'll never reason with it. I'll know. But your soul's not that way. Your soul will always question. Your soul will always try to reason it out. That's what your soul does. But that's not what your spirit man does. Your spirit man knows. You still here tonight? Yes. Next statement. Only through our spirit can man know spiritual reality. You might want to write that one down. Pretty short statement. Simple truth, powerful. Only through our spirit. Say only through my spirit. Only through our spirit can man know spiritual reality. You can't know spiritual reality except to your spirit man. You can't know. See, we try to get to, to the place where we think we know spiritual reality through our reasoning system. No. No, we use the ability to be able to take in information, but not to reason it out. You want to know why most people don't ever actually walk in the light of what their spirit has available to them? Because they question it. They try to reason it out instead of just accepting it. I love what Brother Hagin used to say. He said, I came to the place finally as a believer where I didn't care what God's word said. If God said it, I was so convinced and knew that it was the absolute truth that I never questioned it. Never tried to reason it out. Never tried to reason, how does that work? How, how does this work? Whatever. I mean, it, it was as simple as saying, I just simply believe what he said. Amen. And when people would accuse him, you make healing uh, too easy to receive. He said, no, God did. Amen. God made, I didn't make it easy. You make it hard by trying to reason it out. God made it easy. You ready? You should never forget this verse. Never. Mark 9, 23. All things are possible to him who believes. When the Spirit knows, guess what? Everything's possible. Because the Spirit doesn't question. It knows. When the Spirit believes, it knows. So through our spirit, man, is the only way through which we can know spiritual reality. Next statement. It is impossible, impossible to have proper spiritual development 
and maturity without understanding, excuse me, without an understanding of the functions of soul and spirit. That is so good. I want to say it again. It is impossible. Say impossible. impossible. Say it after me. It is impossible, it is impossible. to have proper spiritual development, proper spiritual development. and maturity, maturity without an understanding, listen carefully, of the functions of soul and spirit. One of the reasons a lot of Christians don't grow spiritually is because they don't understand all the functions of the soul and they don't understand all the functions of the spirit. They think they do. But you got to go to the Bible and find out what are all the functions of the soul, what are all the functions of the spirit. When you learn those things, now you know the difference between the two. And when you know the difference between the two, now you can understand what's spirit and understand what's the soul. But it's only the Word of God that's going to give you this understanding. You have to have an understanding of the functions of soul and spirit. Without understanding the functions of soul and spirit, it's impossible to truly develop to spiritual maturity. Until a Christian can differentiate between soul and spirit, he will more likely live in the soul, lower life, and not the spirit, higher life. Until a Christian can dif differentiate between soul and spirit, he will more likely live in the soul, lower life, and not in the spirit, higher life. So until you understand and can differentiate between the two, guess what you're pretty much going to default to? The soul and the lower life. Next statement. Soulish Christians, soulish Christians have body, soul, and spirit, but if they're soulish, their spirit is dormant. Think about it. If I'm operating soulishly as a believer, guess what my spirit is? Dormant. He's not active. He's not functioning as active. If your spirit's functioning as active, guess what your soul's doing? Submitting to it. You listening? Soulish Christians have body, soul, and spirit, but the spirit is dormant. Why? They're soulish. They're governed by their soul. Soulish Christians talk about those who are governed by their soul. They have body, soul, and spirit, but their spirit is dormant so that the Christian is motivated by his soulish lower nature rather than his spirit man. So if I'm a soulish Christian being governed by my soul, my spirit is what? Dormant. Why? What am I being motivated by? My soul. Think about how many times in a day we're motivated by our soul. Attitudes we have, actions we take, things we think about other people. Yeah. What did Paul say this morning? No, no we know no man according to the flesh anymore. How many do you know according to the flesh? Right. You realize that people who determine whether your message was good or not are soulish? Well, that was a good message. Well, that wasn't a good message. Wait a minute. Was the Word of God involved anywhere in that message? Because if it was, guess what? There was things in there for you to get. But if you evaluated it as a good message or bad message, guess why you did that? Because you did it out of your soul. You did it out of your reasoning, whether you liked it or not, whether it tickled your ear or not, whether it you know, made, made you excited or not, whether it was really, well, it's nothing new that I need. Let me help you. Your spirit never gets tired of feeding on the, on the Word of God. If you're tired of feeding on the same things you've heard, you've already operated, you've already gone back into the soulish realm. You already have. It's the soul that gets bored, not the spirit. Can I get a better Amen. Your spirit never gets tired feeding on the manna from heaven, the word of the living God. Are you kidding me? Never does. 
Never does. It'll take it day after day, hour after hour, minute after. It'll take all you'll give it. And it'll keep asking for more. Even if it's the same thing over and over and over again. You know why? It's fresh. God's word is fresh every day. So a lot of times people don't realize, again, they're still functioning out of the soulish nature. And because they are, their spirit is now what? Dormant. I don't want my spirit dormant. If your spirit's dormant, guess what can't flow through you? Guess what can't function through you? The dominion and the authority and the power God gave you. This is why a lot of Christians are powerless because the spirit is not dominating and breaking through the flesh. I won't have time tonight. You know, Jeremiah refers to God's word as a hammer and a fire. You got to go look at the context. In the context, you know what he's referring to? A bunch of rebellious people that wouldn't receive what he had to say. And so now the prophets are prophesying falsely. They're saying things God never said. And he tells them, that's not going to help you. What you need is my word, which by the way, when my word comes, it comes as a fire or it comes as a hammer. What's that hammer doing? It is actually defying your flesh. It's, it's breaking your flesh off of you. As a fire, it's consuming it, burning it up like chaff. Amen. That's what God's word's supposed to do. Well, that's not to your flesh. That's not a fun thing. Amen. I love something even recently I got a testimony of. Pastor, thank you for this recent message. I realized that I was doing the right things but with the wrong motive. Well, what revealed that? The Word of God did. Amen. And when the motive changed, guess what? Everything changed. Right. Motive comes from the heart. Yes, it so you can go through the motions of marriage even in relationship to what you're supposed to do as husband and wife, but it's coming out of your head. There's no heart involvement in it. Right. So where's the love of God in that? It's not. The love of God's not in that. Where's the love of God at? It's in your spirit man. But what if you're not motivated out of your spirit man to do it? Then the love of God's not involved in it. It's just an action that eventually will obviously go by the wayside because it's not being motivated by your spirit man. You still with me tonight? That's three of you. The last statement here. A spirit, this is a short one. A spiritual Christian does not live in the soul but by the human spirit. Obviously. A spiritual Christian. What is a spiritual Christian? They don't live in the soul, but by the human spirit. Doesn't mean their soul's not ever active. Doesn't mean their soul doesn't ever reason basic things out. You know, you don't need your spirit to tell you, you know, like in the case of me making my oatmeal in the morning, I don't need my spirit to tell me two minutes and 20 seconds. I've done it so many times, my soul knows that's what you do. I just walk up there and do it. I don't need to operate out of my spirit to make a bowl of oatmeal. But I do need to be operating out of my spirit when I walk out into this earth if I want to walk in dominion and walk in what God has for me as his design. Any good amens on that? All right, let me define for you real quick. I want you to get these down. In closing, I want you to get these down tonight. I won't have time to get to the, to the verse where Jesus is actually dealing with his will. We'll get into that Wednesday night. What do we need to know, Pastor? So let me make this point again. Let me make this point again that he said. Very clear, very clear. You need to get this. It is impossible to have proper spiritual development and maturity without an understanding of the functions of the soul and spirit. So let's go over them. Right? These are the functions of the spirit and soul. We'll start with the spirit. The spirit itself, created by God, each part of you actually has a form of a tripart uh, being. Three parts to it. Everything God creates that functions in life has three parts to it. A tree can't function without three parts. 
A plant can't function. Go study it. Plant can't function without three parts. Everything has life in it, it has three parts to it. Not four, not six, not two, has three. We're not functioning in true Zoe life unless all three parts are functioning together. If you're functioning two, you don't have Zoe life because the spirit's dormant. So the spirit has three parts. Number one, the spirit has intuition. Intuition. In context to what scripture reveals in relationship to that, it simply means knowing, I want you to get this, knowing without thinking it through. Knowing without thinking it through. So if you haven't already been taught these, I would encourage you, you need to get these down. You need to learn them. If you want to function out of what God has given you the ability to function out of, spirit, soul, and body, you got to know the difference between these. Intuition is knowing without thinking it through. I don't have to think it through. When your spirit is actually walking in its intuition, what it's been given as a knowing from God, it doesn't even question it. Your spirit doesn't question the things of God. Your soul does. The second thing your spirit has, love this, it has communion. What does that mean? It has fellowship with God. God doesn't fellowship with your soul. God don't fellowship with your body. He fellowships with your spirit man. And that's how you're able to know and walk in the light of what God has for your life is through that communion and fellowship with him and your spirit man. And of course, the third thing should be a pretty obvious one in our church. The third part of your spirit is conscience. Conscience. Now, this is where the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. Conscience is where the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. And the voice of your spirit, conscience, knows that. Amen? Conscience is the voice of, we told you, Brother Hagin says, the voice of your spirit. Brother Sumrall says you got to understand that's because the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. And you'll know it through your conscience. Through that bearing witness, you'll know it through your conscience. So the spirit man is what? Intuition. A knowing without thinking it through. I don't have to think it through. If it's truly coming out of my spirit, you won't even have to even take a moment to think it through. Because you'll already know. It's an absolute. Communion, that's how you fellowship with God is through your spirit, conscience. And that's how you get understanding through the voice of your spirit of what God's directing you to do because there's a witness of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. And that's what's known as the voice of your spirit man or your conscience. You'll pick up on that. Now the soul, you ready for the soul? The soul, of course, is made up of what? First of all, will. Will. And that's the part that makes decisions. But wait a minute, we don't have to have that to function according to God's plan because we can function out of our spirit man and our soul then just simply gets yielded to what our spirit man already knows. I don't have to know in my spirit what God wants and then have my soul decide whether I want to do it or not. If I'm functioning out of my spirit, my soul has no choice. My soul's will, I want you to get this, my soul's will is not involved. There is no place in the Bible ever as a believer once you're born again that you're supposed to walk in your will. You're supposed to walk in God's will, but the only way you do that is out of your spirit, not out of your soul. If you function out of your soul, eventually you'll reason yourself out of it. Are you listening? So the soul has the will, which is the part that makes decision. It has the mind, which we refer to intellect or reasoning. The mind part of your soul is your intellect or your ability to reason. How many times did the disciples see Jesus 
operate in miraculous, life-giving, life-delivering power. And then a little while later, in the midst of him talking to them, they're reasoning among themselves about something else they think he's saying. And what did he say time and again? Why are you reasoning among yourselves? Why are you doing this? Now, understand, they didn't have a born-again spirit yet, but the point was, did you not just see what I just did? And yet, here you are. He was literally showing them, this is not how you're going to function when you're born again. You're not going to live out of this reasoning faculty based on what God's doing. Amen? The last part of your soul, of course, is your emotions, which is nothing more than what? Your feelings. Your little feelings. Well, go by your feelings and you're going to be in trouble. You listening? Again, we talk about this all the time. Walking in love doesn't mean you wait for the feeling to come. Walking in love means you function out of your spirit man doing what love does. And guess what it does? It changes your feelings. Right? Because of your functioning out of your spirit man, guess what the soul's doing? He's submitting. He's getting his feelings changed. By what the love of God says. Any good amens on that? So you and I have to understand these two differences. Spirit has intuition, communion, and conscience. Soul has will, mind, and emotions. Anything that comes from intuition, absolute knowing. Know that I know that I know. That's God. That's the Spirit of God. That's your spirit coming from the Spirit of God. That's coming out of your spirit. Amen? Well, how do I know if I really know it's true or not? It'll happen. It'll happen. If you know it, it'll happen. If, if you say you know it and then a day or two you're questioning it, you never had it from your spirit to begin with. That was your soul. You thought it was because your mind told you, you know what your mind says? I can't question God. I can't doubt God. So I just got to say, yeah, God, I believe it. But if it's not really coming out of your spirit yet, there's going to come a point when you're going to begin to question it. If you begin to question what you know God said is already so, you never were functioning out of your spirit to begin with. A lot of Christians need to learn this because faith is of the heart. A lot of, a lot of Christians are trying to function in faith out of their soul. There is no faith in your soul. You listening? I was listening to an old series by Brother Hagin the other day. Again, I've heard this so many times. He said, too many Christians learn the principles of faith and they try to, to actually walk those out thinking they'll work and they've never believed. It won't work if you don't believe. Well, how do we get there? We're going to talk about that. Because understanding how to develop your spirit, man, will bring you into that place of knowing. You listening? Understanding how I got to develop that spirit, man, and get him to be the dominant one is going to bring me into that place of knowing. Well, when will I know? When you develop your spirit, man. Your spirit, man, does not question. He knows. You need to get to the place you develop that spirit, man, so he can break through your old fleshly nature and you can walk in the light of what he already knows. Amen. Amen. The knowing is in your spirit, man. Not your, if you're questioning, you're not functioning out of your spirit yet. How do I get there? We're going to talk about that. You got to get the word going in. You got to use the word to break through the flesh. Got to get the hammer out. Remember that commercial, the Texas hammer? <laughs> We need the God hammer to break through our flesh. Any good amens on that? So intuition is knowing. Communion, you got to fellowship with God. You're not going to function out of your spirit and not fellowship with him. If you don't take time to fellowship with him, if he's not a priority to fellowship with, then guess what? You're primarily spending all your time fellowshipping in, your soul. 
Well, who's going to dominate? Your soul. And the third part again, conscience. That's when you have that inner witness. And therefore, the voice of your spirit, man, your conscience knows this is, this is of God. I have that inner witness. Amen? But in the case of your soul, the context of your will is the part that's making decisions in your life. You don't want that will, that soul, making decisions in your life. You want all of this coming out of the knowing of your spirit man. I'll say that again. You don't want your soul making all these decisions based on what it wills. You don't want your soul exercising it will, its will in the decisions of life relating to the things of God. You want that coming out of your knower. Amen. Your soul doesn't have anything to do whether or not it wills or wills not to do it. Right. It simply submits to what your spirit knows. See, think about it. If you're functioning out of your spirit, man, and you know, is your soul still going to question? Yeah, but he is now no longer the dominant one. And when the questioning comes, guess what immediately gets squelched? The actual questioning of the reasoning of the mind and the will to want to go a different direction. He's not in charge anymore. The spirit is. Amen? And so he gets put in his place and he gets broken through. And now you actually see the power of God work. The mind is the intellect of reasoning, intellect or reasoning, and the following, final part of the soul is your feelings. And boy, do we need to stop being controlled and led by our feelings. Because feelings are nothing more than that which is affected by what you've seen or heard or what's going on around you or the actual aspects of what you're doing in relationship to what's going on in the natural. How could Paul look at everything he looked at and say, ah, light affliction. He was governed by his spirit. You know what Paul knew? This is so amazing if you think about it. Paul had a word from God. He was going to have to go testify in Rome. I mean, you know that. He knew that in his spirit. It wasn't like, well, I think. I believe this is God's plan. I'm going to try. I'm going to see if it'll work. Now, that you be functioning out of your soul. This is the difference between a God plan and a good plan. You function out of your soul. Might sound good. Might be a good plan. But if it ain't a God plan, guess what? It ain't coming out of your spirit. And sooner or later, you're going to bow down and cave in. Paul never did. Even through all the persecutions he went through. You know why? Because I know God told me I got to testify for him in Rome. You You know what he knows? You know what he knows? You can't kill me. Try it. I know God told me I got to go to Rome. And until I get to Rome, so when he's headed to Jerusalem, man, don't you know, come on, they're, they're lying and wait for you, boy, they're going to take your life. No, no, no. He said, I'm okay if God really wanted me to die there, but that's not what he wants because I got to go testify for him in Rome. Guess what they can't do in Jerusalem? They can't kill me. As long as I keep walking out of my spirit, man, because I got to get to Rome. Come on, folks. We got to build a building. I don't care what anybody tells me. I don't care what they say. God told me to build a building. I know that. Yeah. It don't matter what people think or say. I don't care what. People are going to think and say all kinds of stuff, man. But you got to make the decision. Am I going to function out of my spirit, have my soul submitted, and therefore have my body act out what I know I'm supposed to do? And if I do, I'm walking under God's design Amen. for man. What's, what's actually now happening to your life? Dominion. Amen. What do you mean dominion? You're a carrier of the kingdom. When you walk in God's design, guess what you bring into manifestation everywhere you go? The kingdom. The dominion of the king. 
The reason the world's not seeing a lot of the dominion of our king is because they're not functioning out of their spirit, man. That's going to change. Amen. I said, that's going to change. In Jesus' name. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.